Today we're going to be talking with Jay Denton from Endure Studios. He's a recording artist with a mission. He's got a current song out called The Reckoning, but that is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, he was born in Texas. He's now living and recording in Los Angeles. He had a stint in Nashville, but he is uh, much more than that. He internationally is making a difference with refugees around the world using music. So I really want to talk about that a lot today, talk about some of the people on your roster at Endure Studios. So welcome to the show, Jay. Thanks, Kelly. It's good to be here. Yeah, such a cool story. Let me blow your horn a little bit where uh, one of your recent uh, projects, okay, you had music from your uh, album Locked, that was played, uh-huh. and, and this is the dream of all musicians, you know, get your songs placed on big TV shows. So your songs were on The Walking Dead, Sons of Anarchy, The Bachelor even, uh, ESPN, The Olympics. W- what's it like for a musician nowadays to get your music placed in such, you know, high-profile projects? You know, it's, it's neat because when we make something creatively, it's always fun to have people listen to it just because they like the music. Uh, but it's also really fun to see your music be a part of someone else's creative vision. So when you get to see your music in a film or a television show or something that kind of gives a new, and it brings a new meaning and a new moment to that show or movie because of the music, it's just a really neat thing. It kind of brings it to life. Well, it seems like these these high testosterone shows like your music. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't I don't know why that is. Um, now it, it's it has been great. I I like to make music that's fairly high energy. Um, for in terms of usually the music I make myself as an artist is is pretty high energy, and so I think it it translates well to some of the shows that have a lot of high energy or maybe have a little bit of edge to them. Mm -hmm. Now, you're originally from Texas, and like I was saying at the beginning, uh, you did spend some time in Nashville, which is such a proving ground. But what's it like for a guy who's got these southern roots to be working in L.A. nowadays? You know, it's interesting. I had a little bit of a buffer period before I was working in L.A. because I went to college in Los Angeles. I I originally moved out of Dallas when I graduated high school, and I went to the University of Southern California in L.A. And so before I really was a working professional in L.A., I was a student there. And so you get a little bit of a buffer because you're getting to know the town and the city and the the culture and the environment while you're also sort of hedged from it in a lot of ways by just being a student and living on campus. Um, But uh, so it definitely took me a while to adjust a little bit. Uh, culturally to the different pace of life, but I've come to embrace it and love it. I really do love Los Angeles now. Um, and I think it's a wonderful place to be a creative, to, to be a songwriter, to be a producer, uh, to be an artist, just because you have so many different influences from all over the world. You have people from all over the world, uh, ideas from all over the world, musical styles or creative styles from all over the world kind of converge in one city. And so there's a constant a uh, constant flow of new things that can inspire you. Well, for a few years now, it seems like Nashville has gone just all out Hollywood. So I'm wondering, you know, out in L.A., uh, have they been going all out cowboy? <laughs> oh, man. You know, I if people, some people that would see me working in, in Los Angeles might think so because some things never left me from my Texas roots. I, I still I drive a truck in Los Angeles, which is not a very common thing. I still wear a pair of cowboy boots out in Los Angeles, which people love to laugh about. So, uh, so I might be a, a little factor in that equation of the uh, cowboyization of, of Los Angeles. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think in Los Angeles you get little pockets of different types of cultures in different parts of the city or in different films or different sort of camps or groups of people. And uh, Los Angeles has, is really to me a combination of a ton of different subcultures. And so there's definitely a cowboyish type subculture in, uh, in Los Angeles as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Well, it seems like people in L.A. give a lot of lip service to helping people or to embracing a cause on the other side of the world. But a lot of times they don't want to get their their hands wet or their or, or just, you know, get on that plane and go to where things are happening. You know, it's easy to tweet or to Instagram, you know, a photo of someone. But you've actually, you know, got on that plane. You you went to Beirut. You've been actually uh, recording with refugees. And I find that so mm-hmm. fascinating. Uh, what first inspired you to do this? Well, it's interesting. My path into music worked a little backwards. Uh, a lot of people know they want to, you know, pursue music or be an artist professionally, and they start making that pathway when they're a teenager, when they're in college. Uh, for me, when I was in college, I studied international relations with a focus on international security, and I'd study all of the worst things that would happen in the world. I'd study terrorism, genocide, humanitarian disasters, um, all the things that really all of us are trying to avoid. Um, and I think I always, then when I graduated, originally I considered going into uh, becoming an officer in the Marine Corps. Um, I considered working internationally in a couple different spheres, um, and then I did. I, I went and worked when I first graduated from college in India for uh, four months and in East Africa for a bit. Um, and so when I then really started my music career, I already started it with sort of this international focus, international interest, and desire to really be a part of conflict resolution um, in the international space. And so I, you know, I got into music almost always with that desire of finding a way to connect uh, what we do as, as artists and songwriters and producers in the studio making music, connect that with people from different parts of the world who have gone through things that most of us just can't really imagine because we've never, we've never seen all-out war breakouts um, break out just down the street from us or in our city, in our town. And so... Um, so I've always really wanted to connect those two things. And I had worked a little bit. I'd done some work in Lebanon. And when I worked in Lebanon, I really got to meet a lot of people in the refugee community, um, particularly in the Syrian refugee community, and really met some amazing people uh, that had just had their entire lives uh, taken out from under them um, with the conflict in Syria and had moved to Beirut, kind of left everything and started a new life just really met some amazing people and wanted to give their story um, a bit of a platform and uh, find a way to get their voices heard by people in the mainstream world that might never know anything about what a Syrian girl went through that's living in Beirut and trying to finish up school and find a way to start a career in a foreign country. Mm -hmm. Well, how did you find the people to collaborate with? Like, did you go there a few times first? Did you talk to locals? You know, how did you come to, you know, specifically collaborate with those people? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I, like I said, I did one trip where I was working not with music. Before, ironically, before I really got my music career off the ground, I worked as a fight trainer full-time. I would teach crowd maga, defensive tactics, um, and mixed martial arts. Uh and then I would do work sometimes related to that in different, different parts of the world. And um, I've been working in Lebanon when I met some people. And I, a couple years before I, I did this recording project, I met in particular one contact in Beirut that had a recording studio set up that they would use. He would use mostly for voiceover because um, he's a filmmaker and he and his company would do a lot of uh, voiceover, translation, closed caption type work in that recording studio. But I remember walking into that recording studio in Beirut thinking, I would love to come back here and actually work on a record and make a record with, with people. And maybe I'd use this studio, maybe I'd go somewhere else, but that's what gave me the idea. And then it was 2019, beginning of 2019, two years ago, that uh, I did. I went over to... Lebanon. I talked with that contact of mine, that friend of mine there, and a couple other friends of mine um, that I'd made in Lebanon. And they connected me with a couple Syrian refugees who were singers uh, in Beirut. Um, and then really what, what 
what really connected me with the refugee community there was I met these two singers, uh, Syrian, Syrian guys in Beirut, and they invited me to hear a group of them gather once a week uh, in the city, and they'll practice music and make music, and they have a, you know, a cultural center um, and where they'll get together and they'll sing together once a week, and um, they're, they're a part of a religious community, so they'll lead worship and worship in this, um, in this building in central Beirut. So they invited me there, and I went there and got to hear their rehearsal and then they would just talk to me and we'd circle up and talk about music and they'd play me some of the songs they knew. Uh, I'd talk to them about the type of music I do. And really in that first week, that first night that I met a lot of their friends, I met really all of the, all of the people I needed to because um, they've got such a talented group of friends in this central Beirut refugee area. Um, and then I, for the next three weeks on that trip, I uh, started working on that album with them, started writing with them, recording with them a little bit in that recording studio. Uh, and then sometimes I just took a, a portable recording rig there and we just set up in a building in the middle of Beirut and just record right there on the spot. Mm-hmm. So, wow. so I well, really, how much it was is... a pretty amazing process, just how quickly things snowballed just meeting two people and then through them I met another six and then through them I met another person another person and by the end I had you know gosh eight different featured artists on that record wow from there. well it sounds like that's something you have to do in person you know you can talk on social media you can exchange emails but isn't there just something special about going there and making things happen in person yes Yes, it's a it's a game changer. You can connect with people in a certain way uh, virtually, and it's I'm really grateful for those outlets. But when you're in the room with someone, sitting down, hearing their story, and especially when you're creating something with them, being in person makes all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. When you're hearing firsthand stories from Syrian refugees, how did that influence your songwriting? Well. In a couple ways. One, as a songwriter, you hear a story and sometimes it inspires you to write songs that are more narrative, that are actually writing the the plot of that story and what happened. Other times you hear a story and there's some themes that really jump out at you about um, someone's experience brings to light a certain element or a certain theme, a certain concept that may transcend that one person's experience. And I think that's one of the powerful things about music is that when you're truthful telling, writing a song about one person's story, it can relate to thousands of other people, millions of other people, because there's a concept there that transcends just that one experience. And so that's what I found in talking with them about their experiences in the war, um, their experiences losing everything, whether it was their home got got bombed, um, whether it was losing an immediate family member, um, or whatever it was, there were these themes that really jumped out, and that's really what we what we built the record around were some of those themes. Mm-hmm. So when you you've got uh, Syrians and you're recording in Lebanon. How did those musical influences enter this recording, and how open were you to just just the native music? <laughs> yeah, so I started listening to a lot of Syrian music a couple a couple months before I took the trip, and I started as a music producer. We work a lot of times with sample sounds, so you know I've got a little keyboard um, that I can take anywhere in the world. But what I can hook up to is I can hook up different drum sounds to those keyboards. So I can create these little drum kits that have different flares and different sounds. To them. And so I would listen to Syrian music and I'd start building these little drum kits with, uh, with drum sounds that were more Syrian in nature, more Arabic, uh, more like, uh, like a lot of Arabic music or um, Jordanian music or Lebanese music. And so I kind of went there with some of the raw tools for that. And then my goal really, especially the first week I was there, was to, as much as I could, just listen. Listen and absorb their culture, their music, their style. 
and then start to build from there. And so it really happened pretty organically. I found myself uh, open to it, very open to it. Now, of course, just like anything, when you're inspired by something and then you start to create something, you might be inspired by one thing, but then you're going to bring your world of experience and your world of sounds and the type of music that inspires you. And it's going to combine a little bit. So on this album, there's, there's a combination of sounds. Some of the songs will sound more Western. Some of them will sound more Eastern or more Arabic in nature. Uh, but what was really cool is we started to find some common ground. We started to find some, some sounds and some styles that would inspire uh, the artist I was working with there, the refugee artist there, and then that would also inspire me or would also inspire some of the artists in Los Angeles that I worked with as features on the album as well. Well, I can only imagine, you know, someone who's lost so much and, you know, in a pretty desperate situation to suddenly, you know, be able to express themselves and create on a project like this, that this must have been, you know, so impactful can you think of one person in particular where you think that being able to be part of this project really made a big impact on their life? Yes. Yes, I think so. Um, I think I became good friends with this family, the Khalil family. And uh, there's a girl named Ms. Gein um, who's in her early 20s. And she has a beautiful voice. And she speaks English very well. So, in fact, on our first trip, she functioned in some of our songwriting sessions as a translator as well. And she just has a beautiful voice and has such a story to tell, um, both her own story of her experience and she has such a vibrant personality um, and has so many ideas she wants to write about. And for her, I think it was a really powerful and, and cool experience to get to hear those ideas put on a record and actually get to hear it back because she'll sing in Beirut every week, but she never gets to sing and have it recorded where it can be played back and have it really sound like a record. And I think that was a powerful thing too, just for her to understand like, Oh, she can do this. She can, she can jump in a studio. She can jump on the mic. She can sing and do her thing and then hear it back and sound like, Oh, this really does sound like a, like a professional record. This sounds, this sounds like what I'd listen to on the radio. And so, uh, you know, I think that was a cool experience for her to really understand her own talent and her own giftedness. And then to understand that her story and, and her ideas as a songwriter are really good. And if she puts them down on paper and we put them down in a studio and lay, lay it down on the microphone that, she can really make something great. Mm-hmm. Well, for her and, and the other refugees you worked with, do you think this whole project gave them a renewed sense of hope? I, I most definitely hope so, and I think it did. I really think it did. And I keep up with, uh, with some of them. Uh, well, really, I keep up with most of the artists, um, some more regularly than others. Um, but it did. It, it was such a neat thing for them to get to put their story and their um, experiences and their voices and their music and put it on a record that people are listening to all over the world. Um, and so I do. I think it was a, was a sense of hope for them. And I, I certainly hope it was. And, and the name of this album is? It's called For Home. And the artist's name on it is just Endure. That seems very symbolic, almost like, you know, enduring life, enduring talent. Do you think there's some deep meaning or some overall meaning why you chose that name? Definitely there is. I, uh, I'm a big believer that the greatest levels of strength, whether that be strength physically, strength of a talent or skill set, um, or strength of character come through a lot, facing a lot of adversity and falling down over and over again and continuing to get back up. And that, that, uh, that ability to endure and that mindset that says, if you really want something, if you're willing to endure the things that are necessary to get to that place, you can really do something that's incredible or become someone who's incredible. And so 
that's really the DNA of, of my studio and sort of my ethos with Endure Studios and my team back in Los Angeles. And, uh, and so that's why when it came to making these albums, these international albums with people who have gone through so much, I wanted to, I wanted to have that word be the thing that would encapsulate uh, the music and that, those, those records, that art. And last year you also put out a documentary about this project called Endure Lebanon, which um, sounds really interesting. So what's, what's been the response to that? Yes, Endure Lebanon was made by uh, a filmmaker based in Atlanta, Jake Green, um, who's also a good friend of mine. And um, Jake runs, started a, a production company called Peaceful Sea Productions. And when I was telling him about this trip that I was going to take uh, to Lebanon, he thought about it and called me back a couple days later and told me, I'm coming on this trip and I'm going to make a documentary about it and you can't say no. And so, um, so he came with me on the, the first trip that I took in 2019, and he shot a feature-length documentary about the process of making music with uh, the refugee community, uh, the process of going overseas and coming back to the U.S. and making this cross-cultural album. But I think one of the most powerful parts of his documentary was he was able to interview a lot of the different refugees that we worked with and get their stories and have those translated. And then in the documentary, he has some of their backstories animated. He's got a great animator who would animate some of their backstories. Um, Cause obviously we didn't have footage of uh, the conflict in Syria or of their lives before they moved to Lebanon, but the mm-hmm. animations were able to bring that to life. So you really get a sense of these different artists backstory. And when you see that, then when you hear the song that they wrote, that was based on their story, it brings a whole new level of depth to that song. So, I mean, I, I, I was so proud of the way that documentary turned out. I thought Jake did a great job and I thought that, um, that it, it was really just neat and powerful to see uh, the stories behind the music. Mm-hmm. Well, doing all this in Beirut, I think for a lot of people who grew up in the seventies, there's such an ingrained, idea of, you know, the turmoil that was in Beirut. And even, you know, 50 years later, a lot of people, you know, can't shake, you know, that, that old uh, image. So I'm just wondering for you, what was, what were your preconceived ideas about Beirut and, and how was the reality different once you were there and meeting the people? Uh, that's a good question. You know, I had studied history studied international conflict quite a bit before I went there. And so I think I, I was surprised sometimes on both sides. One, I was surprised after knowing sort of the history of conflict in Beirut to see how beautiful so much of the city is and how vibrant it is and how, uh, how modern so much of the city is. And then I also was still surprised that you can drive by many buildings and, um, and some of the rougher parts of town that just still have bullet holes in them from, uh, from, from the, the civil conflict in the city and from the various, various conflicts that have, that have erupted in that city over the years. And so Beirut is this interesting, there's an interesting dichotomy there between you have some of the most modern, beautiful, lavish buildings right next to, buildings that are still bombed out and are still missing walls and have bullet holes ridden through um, the walls that are still intact. And so, you know, I think that, I think that really encapsulates a lot of, um, a lot of the culture of that city too. You've got both the, the beautiful and, um, and the harsh, harsh right next to each other. And the people that, people that have lived in Lebanon and lived in Beirut for, many years for decades have experienced both sides of life that way. Um, I went back to Beirut uh, last year, right a couple days after the port explosion happened in August, um, August 4th, you know, when this, uh, when this um, container blew up in the port and it caused one of the largest explosions in a populated area in history since, since World War II. Uh, and I went, I went back to Lebanon to be with some of the people I knew there that had been affected by the blast. Um, and same thing. I mean, just 
you see some of these beautiful parts of Beirut, and then you see this whole area of the city that looks like a complete war zone. Um, so Beirut is a it's a mixed bag. You've got some some great and terrible things that happened there. Mm-hmm. Well, for the documentary, is there a way that people can see that online or, or rent it or buy it? Yes, they can. It was up on uh, when we first when Jake first released it. It was up on Amazon Prime, and now it's up on Vimeo. Um, so you can you get really if you just Google if if your listeners Google search uh, Endure Lebanon um, Vimeo, they can they can find it. They can rent it there. They can purchase it there. Um, they've got multiple options. How has the government in Lebanon responded to you? You know, did anyone? And even, you know, local government in Beirut, did you have a screening there or did you get any commentary? You know, most of the time I tried to just do my thing and uh, and stay sort of off of the grid and not really make any uh, political statements or uh, really be involved in the political process at all. And that worked for most of it. You know, I'd, I'd have different times where I'd have to have conversations with people about what I was doing out there and why I was there and um, you know they obviously want to know what I was up to why I was working with a lot of the refugee community and what I was going to do with the work that I was doing there what we were going to do since we're filming things around Beirut but you know overall when it was all said and done we um, we, we kind of made it through without any major hitches mm-hmm. now so I think that 20... oh, go ahead oh no go ahead Oh, I was just going to say, just, so I think, I think overall, I think the government was, you know, pretty much let us do our thing there. Okay. Very good. Well, it seems like you still have the travel bug and that in 2021, uh, you got some plans to go to East Africa. I do. It'll actually be interesting. I'm currently, I'm on a trip in Texas, um, at the moment. And I just, in fact, I just had lunch with a friend from Uganda, from Kampala. Um, and I would like to go back to my, my goal was to go back to East Africa, uh, where I've done some work before in Uganda and South Sudan and go back there, uh, as well as Rwanda and start working on a record there in, in between those three countries with people that were affected by some of the various conflicts, um, that's, that's hit East Africa over the last couple of decades. But with uh, with where the pandemic numbers are in East Africa, they're still on some pretty intense shutdowns and lockdowns, and um, they've got a very very small percentage of their population that's vaccinated. So most most things are still shut down, and so we've really been advised that it'd be better for us to push that trip back. So originally I wanted to go there over the summer, then we pushed it to fall, then we were thinking November, but. Now that trip may get pushed into 2022, just so that when we go there, we can we can really do things without without having to work in a in a lockdown environment. Mm-hmm. Well, so we've got actually flexible. a couple options. Exactly, exactly. So I may start another one of these Endure albums in the fall. In fact, me and the filmmaker Jake Green are going to be talking about that this week, kind of planning because we've been planning on going back to East Africa in the fall, but if that, if that has to adapt, if that has to pivot and get postponed, then we may this fall go ahead and start working on another idea we've got for an Endure album, which would be working on an album with um, veterans, uh, with members of the veteran community here in the U.S. Uh, domestically, and making an album with uh, veterans kind of featuring some of their stories and whether they sing or they just want to be a part of writing songs, um, with us and then us pairing those up with different artists here in the U.S. that we may do that in the interim until we're able to go uh, go back to East Africa. Wow. So is there anyone out there doing anything similar to what you're doing? You know, I think at different times there have been, there've been uh, different artists that have gone to other parts of the world and done collaborations with people from that um, that community. I know uh, Mumford and Sons um, worked on a project in South Africa. Even when we were getting ready to release the Endure album, uh, Coldplay released a project that they'd recorded with some musicians in Jordan. Um, 
you know, so there, there's definitely been artists over the years. Um, uh, I've, I've, gosh, Paul Simon, who did uh, Graceland, worked on that album overseas. So there have been artists over the years who have done things in that space of uh, international collaboration. I don't really know of anyone who's doing these collaborations where they're trying to connect artists from all over the world with more established artists in the United States or from the, the Western world or the mainstream music industry. So if there are people that are doing it, I would love to meet them because I'd love for us to work together on something. You know, um, did you, did you plan it this way from the start or did it just evolve, you know, that, that you would have this global reach and it's kind of like a humanitarian mission. Has that always been something important to you? Well, that idea has always been important to me. Um, you know, I considered, again, I, I considered before I started my music career, I considered uh, whether I, at the time, was thinking, do I accept the commission to the Marine Corps um, or do I go and do counter-human trafficking work? That's, that's work that's always very much interested me, um, both in the, in the U.S. and, and abroad. Um, so those those causes have always been really important to me. I've always felt very alive when I felt like my life as a part of a purpose is bigger than just myself. Um, mm-hmm. So, but then the way it's happened and the way we've started rolling this out and the way me and my team have started sort of making these endure records, that's that's adapted over time. And you know, I might have thought it was going to be one way several years ago, and then as as we start taking steps out there and kind of jumping off the deep end and just start doing it. Things adapt and, and things grow, but yeah, the vision has stayed really the same. Um, and it's been a really cool thing. I've got a team in Los Angeles. My creative director is a, is a girl named Devin Feldmuth and she has a, a non, she works with a nonprofit organization. It started a nonprofit organization that does stuff in, uh, in Uganda with artisans in, in Uganda, uh, entrepreneurs and artisans there. So that's a big part of her DNA, which is one of the reasons she, she wanted to work with us um, at Endure Studios. I've got a couple of the people I work with regularly at Endure Studios. One artist named Aaron Kellum, who, I mean, it's just sort of his mission in life to use whatever he's doing to, um, to people's lives around him better. So it's been kind of a cool thing just seeing a, a, a team come together of people that just have a similar passion, both for music and similar passion for using creative arts, um, whether it be film or music um, or, or whatnot, to make an impact in the developing world or in other parts of the world that have just had very different experiences. So we're, we're adapting, we're changing, but our visions mm-hmm. stayed the same pretty much the whole time. I've got a few more questions for you, but before we wrap those up, I want to make sure people know where to learn more about you and Endure Studios. Absolutely. So for me, you could follow me on Instagram. Uh, you use at Jay Denton. It's just my name, J-A-Y-D-E-N-T-O-N. Um, my website is the same, just jdenton.com. Um, or on Facebook, I'm Jay Denton Music. And then with Endure Studios, we're uh, just endurestudios.org online. Um, and on Instagram or Facebook, we're Endure underscore studios, and you could follow us there. We'd love to keep you in touch with, uh, with some of the things that we're doing. And we have both these international projects, but really the, the meat of what we do, most of what we do is I write and produce both for myself but for a, for a, a group, a, a number of artists in Los Angeles that I think are really, really great. Um, and so I really love getting to – work with them in the studio every week and keep pushing their projects forward. Mm-hmm. Now I have to say, because your last name is Denton and you're from Texas, do you have any connection to Denton, Texas? <laughs> uh, not that I'm aware of, not that I'm aware of. It would certainly be wonderful. I'd love to uh, be the Prince of Denton, Texas, but unfortunately not. Um, so, you know, I have no idea what the, what the connection would be. Well, you know they have an annual uh, film and uh, music festival. Yeah, I should probably give that a shot. I should probably go go out there and see if my name will uh, score me some extra points at that festival. <laughs> hey, well, you can play both a documentary and then perform with your band. 
Sounds like a plan to me. I'll look into it. <laughs> well, I was really excited to hear that you want to do a project with uh, U.S. veterans. But I have to ask, mm-hmm. um, what do you think of our track record here in this country? Do you think we do enough to honor our veterans? Well, I mean, in short, I would say no. Part of that is because a lot of times the veteran community and the civilian community just don't fully understand each other. I think a lot of times people don't understand the amount of training. Um, I think just most people don't understand what veterans have been through, both in terms of their training, in terms of their experience, if they've deployed, what that's like. And so when veterans come back, especially come back from, from deployments, a lot of times they just, they feel like the world, the, the, the world back here either doesn't get them or that they don't really fit in anymore. And so sometimes that process of integrating back into just normal life in the U.S. can be uh, difficult and it can be difficult on both sides. And one of the main, one of the artists I work with is named Rocco Vargas. Um, and he's a, he's a combat veteran um, and he's an actor in the FX show Mayans MC. But he, he runs a, uh, an organization called Veteran that's really to help veterans transition, help veterans really uh, develop really good lives um, here in their, in their civilian life back in the United States. And, uh, and you know, just, I love talking with him about that process. And sometimes the stories are really encouraging and sometimes they're really sad. Um, but one way or another, I think, that's one. That's why I would love to do an album, Veterans, is just to really give them a platform for both their stories to be heard by a, a lot of people that may not understand their story and their their background and their service, and to give give people in the U.S. that don't really understand what their experiences is like, give them a window into that, um, so that they can understand that community a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Seems like it's always good to give more of a personal face to people in the military to bridge that gap. Yeah. I, you know, I think just like anything, I think we always have ideas of what other groups of people are like, whether that be a culture on the other side of the world or a culture in our own community, whether it be military or the firefighter community, whatever it is. We have ideas about what it's like to be that person or what it's like to be a member of that group, but we really don't know. We don't know until we really hear someone out and and hear their story and hear what their experience was. And then I find that with just about any two groups of people, even if you get two groups that think that they're completely opposite and they share nothing in common and that there's no way they could ever get along you really get them talking about some of the things that are most important to them, whether it be uh, their families, but talk about love or loss or grief um, or hope or the things that make them come alive, bring them joy as a, as a human being. And you find so much common ground uh, very quickly. And so that's, that's what I think would be a really neat thing for us to do over the years is do some of these endure albums with, communities really all over the place that um that recon- that can recognize that they have more in common with other people than they really ever thought mm-hmm. well there's so many good bands in the military we're probably more used to hearing them like at a parade like a marching band style but wouldn't it be mm-hmm. amazing to record uh some songs with, with these you know vets your singers but also to you know get one of the big bands to accompany you yeah. Oh, it'd be really neat. Really neat. Get a drum line in there. Uh, I think there's so many, so many avenues uh, in that direction that could be really, really cool. And so, you know, yeah, I'm going to be talking with Jake Green this week, the filmmaker, because he wants to make this Endure documentary more of a documentary series than just one, one film. So he'll be making a documentary about the next project as well and all the projects we do going forward. So we'll be talking about what would uh, what would be most realistic for us to do later this fall um, with with some of the pandemic numbers overseas, and then we'll start planning that out and 
if we start doing a veterans project and yeah, some of you sitting down, spending a lot of time with, uh, talking with Rocco about how to go about this. And there are a couple other people. There's a, um, a guy I met in Nashville that runs a nonprofit organization, uh, that helps connect veterans with, uh, with music or makes guitars for veterans and connects them with, uh, with the music community a little bit. I think we can all, all talk it out and see how we want to go about this. And I think it could be a really, really cool project if we do it right. Now this was probably before you were born, but do you remember when Fleetwood Mac did the song Tusk and they, and they had the marching band on it? Oh, I mean, I was at, I was at uh, USC, so we'd we'd hear Tusk all the time. That was one of the big ones of uh, our marching band play. Yes, I do. <laughs> See, that's part of your tradition, so this should be like a natural fit for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think it'd be a ton of fun. I, in fact, I'm working on a song right now, just a, a song for myself, uh, and, and I'm basically putting together, sort of building my own little drum line for it. And uh, I love those types of sounds, uh, musically, musically, I really, um, I, I never was officially a drummer. I played the drums a little bit, but I was never officially a drummer, but I, I think it's probably my favorite thing is coming up with really, really interesting and cool and innovative, uh, rhythm patterns. So you, you get me anywhere near drum line and I get excited. Well, I want to wrap up by, blowing your horn and saying that you did this amazing song called The Reckoning. And you had uh, some collaboration with Hannah Parrott, who co-produced and uh, co-composed the song. And um, it's very, uh, it just sounds like something that would have come out from a guy who's doing all that you're doing. Very deeply felt, you know, just a lot of strong musicianship on it. And I'm curious, with all you've been doing, helping other people and just getting, you know, these other communities involved in these very healing and positive projects, how has that informed your own personal songwriting and especially on The Reckoning? Mm-hmm. You know, The Reckoning, gosh, the songwriting on that was inspired by a couple years ago, um, there was a big fire that erupted really close to where I live in Los Angeles uh, called the Skirball Fire. And I mean, I think probably many of us have seen some of the footage that would come out from, from people driving down the 405 freeway, which is one of the major freeways in Los Angeles, and just seeing both sides of the freeway completely erupted in flames. And so I ride a motorcycle and, uh, you know, sometimes I'm a bit of a glutton for punishment. So I took the motorcycle and rode down that strip and just saw you know flames and ashes on both sides of the freeway and it looked like a very it looked like a war zone or it looked like this sort of post-apocalyptic visual riding down that uh, that freeway um with all the destruction on both sides and i i sat down today uh at a a breakfast diner and i started just thinking about that experience and thinking about how driven down that freeway that same stretch so many times would never imagine something like that happening. And it just got me thinking like how much in life do we go through life and everything just is sort of normal the way we we just get used to the way things are. And I was thinking if something, if something crazy happens, like an asteroid hit the earth and caused, you know, a, a huge tsunami or anything like that, if there was, if there was something that shook, us out of our um out of our sense of normal life like some huge event that should will we be ready for it what would it be like what would what would be people's reaction to it what would be my reaction to it what would what would we do and uh and so that's really what inspired the song the reckoning and uh and so i started that one then and then i really started working on that this year uh kind of re retract some stuff started tracking it laying down electric guitars and everything. And then I worked with Hannah Parrott. She's a brilliant film composer. And she just took that track to a whole new level um, with her composing. It sounds like it could be in a movie score, a trailer, a film trailer. 
and uh, I wanted to work with her on that to bring this song to kind of a level of uh, an epic scale. And I think that it turned out that way. And it, uh, I love the way it turned out. So that was the reckoning. Excellent. Well, and, and of course, you know, you, you are so into collaboration. Um, you know, so many people want to, you know, be, be the, the king of the hill and, you know, the master of their own domain and just get all the attention, all the credit. And, and it just seems like you like to share the credit and you like to bring people together. You know, what's your advice for people who just always want to go it alone or just always want to be, you know, the Instagram star and, you know, me, me, me. It, you know, sometimes that, that can lead to so much misery. And when we open up to more people, especially collaborating, sharing ideas, it just seems like we're a lot more happy when we do that. You know, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I think there's something to be said for the kind of lone wolf that just creates something and just does their own thing. And, you know, I certainly, I spent years of my life where I spent most of my time just working on my own music, writing my own songs, writing by myself, recording my own music. And um, I think, I think like a lot of things, if, if we want to do something and just do everything ourselves, we might even make something that's pretty good. But I don't think we're going to make something great. I think you want to do something truly great, uh, creatively, um, as an entrepreneur, as a human being. I think we want to do something truly great. We we got to work with people that are better than us at other things. You know, you're never going to have a, a quarterback on a football team that says, oh, yeah, I don't need an offensive line. Um, you know, or you're never going to have a, you're never going to have a, a Steve Jobs who builds the company Apple without a Steve Wozniak who's the, the, the technical genius who did most of the, um, most of the inno- early innovations within Apple computers. And so, yeah, I just think, I think like a lot of things, if you, if you want to just do your own thing, you can, um, but man, you want to build something that's, that's great and you want to be constantly learning surround yourself with people that are excellent at what they do and have different skill sets than you do. And it just sort of brings the whole projects up a notch. Mm-hmm. And I, I think to close out, since we haven't been heavy and deep enough, <laughs> right. uh, let's go, let's get really deep. No, but I think it's just so unique that, you know, you're in the trenches, you know, you're there, you know, with the refugees and just learning people's stories firsthand. And just to bring it back home to a lot of us here in America, where maybe we have some grievances at a time or, you know, our, our big catchphrase, you know, microaggressions. And so often, you know, it's just so easy for people to fall back and think, oh, I'm, uh, I'm so oppressed. I've got it so bad. And yet, you know, we have no concept of, you know, what it's like to, you know, be in a war-torn country, to be a refugee, to lose your home, to lose, you know, your family overnight. And just, just yeah. what's the perspective you think you can share with us when we're, we're, we're so down on things where in the big scheme of things, you know, these things really aren't that important? You know, I think, I think overall we can always, no matter who we are, no matter how um, how many how many how many resources someone has or how little resources they have, every single one of us, and at different times of our life in different ways, all of us have advantages compared to some people and disadvantages compared to some people. In everything in life, our 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 physical bodies, our mental cognitive ability, our um, access to resources there's always people that are have have uh, have more advantages or less advantages than us and if we constantly sort of look at what we have and and look at what we lack then we're never going to do something with what we have i think the the mentality that you always see in, in great great people and great teams that built something is they didn't spend most of their time focusing on what they didn't have they spent most of their time building with what they did have. 
and I say this, you know, believe this with creatives in, in the music world all the time, you know, maybe you, maybe you have access to an incredible studio and beautiful instruments and, you know, all of the, all of the gear in the world. Maybe you have a microphone and a laptop. Maybe you just have a, a phone. Maybe you just have a voice. But if you start creating something and honing your skill with whatever it is that you do have or whatever talent that you do have, and you find a way to get great at that thing, and then you find a way to, through getting good at one thing, find somebody else that's good at the other, that's good at the missing piece, the piece of the puzzle that you don't have yet, and then work together on something, you can build. Um, so I think, I think overall... I think if we as society really think about what we do have and spend most of our energy working on building with what we've got, I think it'll significantly take us to a better place than if we spend most of our time focusing on what we lack. Excellent. All right. Since you've been such a sport, I'll throw out one lighter question. This is a fun one. So, <laughs> all right. I'll take it. Favorite band of all time. Oh, uh, that's, that's a light question. Come on. That was, that was brutal. Uh, I know. To I keep know it to just one, that, that's hard. Yeah, to keep it just one, that's hard. Um, favorite band of all time. You know, I'll give you an answer, and I don't really – it's probably because I think for some of my formative years musically, this band was – I would – I was so inspired by them. I still love their music, still love their music, love, love what they do, um, even though I might answer that question differently just from the last 10 years, but it would be the Goo Goo Dolls. Oh, Nice. I remember the song Iris. Uh, gosh, I remember when I was in high school, I would listen to that song and I just, I'd be driving after basketball practice and uh, I would just drive and listen to that song over and over again. And um, I just felt like the, the combination of the music with the, or just the, the rock music, the kind of acoustic based rock music with the, the orchestration they had in there, the full orchestra, I just felt like it was, it was incredible. So that, that would, uh, I, you know, I'll give you that, that'll be my answer for now. I like that. See, that's kind of a wild card. And I remember reading about them recently. Are they about to put out a new album? I don't know. I certainly hope so. Um, probably a big gap I, in between albums. I can't remember, too. There was an article I saw in the last few years. I can't remember if it was Billboard or Rolling Stone, but they did a, an article where they took, like, the last 20 years of music, and they did the, the their their version of the top 100 songs of the last 20 years, and Iris was actually number one on that list. Wow. Um, yeah, the Google Dolls had a couple songs in there. So all, all it takes is one song to be remembered by. Uh-huh. It really does. So do you, really so does. Do you think you've uh, either recorded or written that one big song that you'll be remembered by? No, I still think that the biggest stuff in my career is in front of me. So, uh, so uh, you know, I've written some that I really love and I'm really proud of. I wrote this one song with them. Um, with an artist named Josh Cumby that is about to have, gosh, it's, it's had five versions of it come out with, um, with different artists just because the song just people keep getting inspired by it and wanting to reimagine it in different ways. But, uh, but I think, I still think that, yeah, that song is still ahead of me. I don't think I've written mm -hmm. it yet. So this album where you collaborated was called For Home when you recorded mm -hmm. in Beirut and you're going to do one with veterans. So what's your proposed title for that album? 
I don't know. I kind of want to want to let the title emerge as we're working on the record and really see. I'd rather let the title be driven by um by the songs and by the stories with uh with the veterans and the songwriters that I work with than uh, than me knowing it going into it. So we'll see. And what yet would you like yet, the, yet to be seen? Yet to be seen. What would you like the overriding theme of that album to be? Yeah, I think I think that would also. Uh, unfortunately, I probably had the same answer to that question. Um, I really want to. You know, I have my ideas, and I've spent a lot of time uh, working with, and uh, the, and and I have a lot of friends in the military community. But I still think I want the. Uh, the overall theme of that to be driven by, um, by the artists that I work with and by the songwriters that I work with. And I think through those conversations of talking with them and through writing the songs, I think we'll find that theme. And I think we'll see what that common theme is, um, emerge in, in the process. That's kind of what happened with four home. Now with four home, I did have a little bit of an idea of, uh, of something about the idea of home. And I thought maybe that's what this album will be about. But then I kind of let go of it. And then as we were making the album, it ended up being sort of the central theme of it anyways. And so uh, I kind of circled back to it. With the Veterans Project, I don't know exactly what that um, central theme would be. And so we'll, we'll, see, uh, we'll see how it turns out. Okay, the, the final, final question. Mm-hmm. So when people go to Los Angeles and they're looking for, you know, one of those great little divey, hole-in-the-wall, roadside, roadhouse taverns, what, what's, your, what's the one that you can recommend from firsthand experience? Very, the, the Ooh, most okay, cal- so... But it has to be very cowboy friendly and and have a lot of country on the jukebox. Oh, okay, country on the jukebox. Um, hmm, that's a good question. Uh, there's there's one in West LA that's a little bit off the freeway, uh, but that is sort of that dive bar feel where they've got popcorn in there and there is a jukebox and you know the bartenders all know all the regulars by their first name and first probably first name last name and um there's there's one called lost and found but that's not really a cowboy not a cowboy bar at all but i used to go there i would teach krav maga on uh on friday nights in west la and then afterwards some of the people i'd train we'd all go down um, some of the instructors with Krav Maga or, or people that would train there, we'd go to that bar together afterwards. But uh, in the cowboy vein, I don't know if I've found it yet. Aha! Uh-huh. Maybe you'll have to go a little north for that. Maybe up to Sacramento. Yes, there, there definitely are some good ones. Um, there are some in, uh, like, uh, in the Simi Valley area. Um, I've been to a couple that are you know, kind of good line dancing spots uh, for people that are that are into that. Um, you know, there's Borderline, which I mean, it was really sad because that uh, there was a there was a shooting at Borderline. Gosh, what a couple years ago. Um, it was very very tragic. But that um, that's a really that's a really neat spot, and they've they've reopened. And, um, you know, just had a lot of people kind of rally around them as they went through that process of working and opening in a different location and then reopening. So borderline would be a, a, a really neat one in, uh, in the Valley area. Excellent. All right. Well, I will give you the last word here. Give us a send off and just give, give us some words of inspiration. All right. Well, you know, I've, I've found this as the starting in doer studios and um, sort of building what I do as an artist out with uh with other people and with other artists and with the team, I just found you take an idea that you have, take the idea that scares the living hell out of you, but that you really want to do. And you just think there's probably no way it'll work. 
And if you can get the right people around you, and if you're willing to work your tail off, go after it. Um, because we, we, we all will spend a lot of our lives working, and I just think it's so worth it to find something that really makes you come alive as a person and give everything you have to that and, uh, and see what can happen. Because who knows, it may be completely different than what we expect, but I think you really pour yourself and devote yourself into, into uh, doing something that matters to you and something that fits your skill sets. You can build a pretty amazing life and a pretty amazing career. His name is Jay Denton. His company is Endure Studios. His new single is The Reckoning. He is a cowboy in Los Angeles trying to make a difference in the world. 